especially when you black and wear a black shirt at a school where the lights are dim. I know some of y'all were like, well, where is he? Is he? <laughs> I was the shadowy figure to the right of the screen. So you guys can see me now and I'm excited. The lights on, it's great. If I back up against the wall, things will change. That's just me. Ah, it is good to be here. Last night, last night I flew in and I went to a place called Charlie's. And oh, you ain't heard nothing yet. And I went and, and, and Bill Treby said, hey, get the, the unfried seafood platter. So I thought he was saying that for my health, you know, get the unfried. But when I got there and I, I, I ordered this, this dish, I realized that that's not why Bill said get that. This dish has an amazing ability to change your life. <laughs> I ate this food and everything just made sense to me. I understood the Trinity. I, I, I understood, I understood what happened in the garden of Adam and Eve and how Satan was there. I understood it all. I don't, I don't know if you know this, but the food that you got down here can change lives. Man. It brings clarity. Tell you what, man, I go back home and I feel like Albert Einstein. Man, I'm just, I figure everything out when I come from down here. So much so that I brought a buddy of mine with me. And we brought the director of community outreach with me. He serves with me on staff at my church, Mike Dixon. I brought him down for two reasons. One, because I wanted him, well, three reasons. One, because I wanted him to come here to experience being with you all on Sunday morning. Two, wanted him to come into the schools because he does something similar to what Jeff is doing, but he does it with elementary school kids. So he's just down here to learn from what Jeff is doing and what you all are doing through your prayers and your finances. And three, I just wanted him to eat so he can have more clarity about life. I don't, I don't know why y'all don't have like the most scholarly people in the world. Cause I ate a shrimp dish last night. I will never be the same. I gotta stop cause I can keep going talking about that. It's not good when I have a microphone. It's not good at all. How many of you, just, just by show of hands, how many of you know what a paradox is? Raise your hand if you know what a paradox is. Oh, good. I told you. See, look at the clarity. <laughs> I know people that came up to me and said, I, I can't even spell paradox. How would I know what it is? All these people raised their hands. Hey, a paradox is an interesting thing. And, and, and let me give you the dictionary definition of a paradox. Here's what a paradox is. It is a statement or proposition that despite sound or apparently sound reasoning from acceptable premises leads to a conclusion that seems senseless, logically unacceptable, or self-contradictory. Now, how many of you still know what a paradox is? <laughs> you ever look up words and, and the words that describe the word need definition? <laughs> but that didn't bother me because I ate good last night. I understood it all. <laughs> I understood it all. I thought I invented the word paradox. For those of you where this definition is not helpful, here's what a paradox is on street terms. It's a sentence that sounds cool, but it's really dumb. And let me give you some examples from some of the greatest minds throughout history. Here is Picasso. It's Picasso. It's profound. Art is a lie that makes us realize the truth. 
It's the same thing I thought when I heard that. Like, huh? <laughs> but it gets more profound. I shut my eyes in order to see. You all are thinking the same thing I'm thinking. If I shut my eyes in order to see and take a couple of steps, it'd be a cardiac arrest. Y'all would have called the police, news, fire trucks. Here's one. I have such a high regard for the truth that I use it sparingly. <laughs> Try confessing that one to the Lord. Lord, I, I love truth so much, I don't want to use it too much. I, want... I am a man of fixed and unbending principles, the first of which is to be flexible at all times. The little I know, I owe to my ignorance. I still don't know what that means, even after that good dish I ate last night. I have no idea. Paradoxes are interesting because they sound cool, but they really don't make sense. But there is a paradox that is not like the paradoxes that I read this morning. There is a paradox that is not written and, and defined by men like this. It's written and defined by the, the one who made these men. There is a paradox that is a great statement. And if we're honest, it can not make sense. And that paradox is this. God is sovereign. And yet, I am responsible for what I do. God is in control of everything. He's ordained everything. There's nothing that you do that surprises God. Before the foundation of the world, he chose you and knew that you would do the very things that you've done, even things that you're unaware that you're going to do, and you wouldn't even do them apart from God's sovereign control, and yet you are responsible. That is a great paradox. All of us, regardless of what you believe, will stand before God one day and you will give an account for your life. I don't care if you grew up in the church, if you grew up in the hood or the woods. You're going to stand before Almighty God and give an account for your life and the VCR and the DVD that he has will be accurate. And you will give an account for everything that you've said or done. And yet God is in control of all things that are said and done. It is a theological hurricane. The notion that God is in control and has ordained everything to happen is an insane concept. And yet, it is one of the greatest truths in Scripture. The sovereignty of God is a huge category. There's tension in this truth. The sovereignty of God is the reason why people ask, why? It's confusing. You fight to believe and trust it. But if you're honest, there are times where God is sovereign bothers you. Yet, it's true. What I want to do this morning 
is do a sermon. I usually pick a passage, and I, I know your pastors do the same. We expository, we exposit messages, so we start from verse 1 or whatever, and we go through and explain it. This morning, I'm going to do more of a topical sermon on the sovereignty of God, but we are going to look at one passage, and there's a passage in John 19 that I believe in light of the context of what's happening, contains the greatest statement of God's sovereignty. This morning, we're going to look at what I would say in all of Scripture, based upon what is happening, that it is the greatest statement about the sovereignty of God in all of Scripture. You can feel free to disagree, but I'm preaching this morning. (laughs) Disagree on your own time. We're going to look at three aspects of this. And this, this passage that we're going to read, I'm not going to explain it like I normally would or like your pastors normally would. I'm going to use it as an illustration to make the point of God's sovereignty. There are three aspects to this sermon this morning. And the three we're going to look at, first and foremost, what is sovereignty? What does God say about God as it relates to his sovereignty? Then we're going to look at human authority is not sovereign. God, as I will explain, gives a measure of his authority to man, but that authority is not sovereign. And then lastly, we'll look at sovereignty does require human response. There is a response that we must give to the sovereignty of God. So we're going to read John 19 verses 1 through 11. And then I can assure you, even though I ate good last night, I need the Lord's help. Beginning in verse 1, John 19, and I quote, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arraigned him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you know I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to him, Take him yourselves and crucify him. For I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered, We have a law. And according to To that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for just allowing me to come back to a place that I love. I love this city. I love this church. 
I love the fact that this city, this church loves you. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to speak because it is no small task to try to explain something that is difficult for you to understand, the one explaining it, meaning myself. So, Lord, I trust you this morning that if I say anything that is inaccurate, I pray that they would forget that. But whatever I say that's true, Lord, impress it upon their hearts and their minds. Lord, these are your sons and daughters. I thank you for the opportunity, and I ask you, please, would you help me with the responsibility? In your name we pray. Amen. I don't know what it is about this scene, but the fact of Jesus having been beaten, whipped, his flesh ripped off of his body, a crown of thorns placed on his head, See, we often, as Christians, we, we get so enamored with the eternal things of the cross that we forget that Jesus was fully man, and so every single whip and those crown of thorns, they hurt him. We minimize the human suffering of Jesus, and here he is, whipped in more pain than any of us probably will ever experience. He's dying even as he's standing. His body is in shock. And this is only the beginning. He knows that he's going up a hill to be nailed to a wooden patibulum, raised up. And then he says to the man who is humanly responsible for his pain and suffering, you don't even have authority over me. That is a crazy statement. And here he says it. What's interesting about what Jesus says to Pilate is he doesn't say you have no authority, right? What he says is, the authority that you do have is not capital A authority. You have a lowercase a authority, and that authority comes from above. Now, in this context, Jesus doesn't give any more qualification. He doesn't say, he doesn't say who, why, or what. He just tells Pilate where this authority comes from. So in order to understand where this authority comes from that was given to Pilate to have so that he would be responsible for the execution of our Lord and Savior, we have to look elsewhere. And I assure you, many of us would agree that God is sovereign. This is one of the most precious truths that we have, that we have. My hope is at the end you will believe it because the significance of God being sovereign is easily forgotten among people who say it so often. You forget God is sovereign when you're suffering, right? This morning, during celebration, 
God is sovereign. I feel great. Tuesday afternoon, is God still sovereign? Yeah. But what's your definition of sovereign? My hope today is that we will all have the same definition, which I believe is God's definition of sovereignty. What's interesting about this reality is whether we know it or not, all people submit to the sovereignty of God and to large degrees have accepted it as a functioning reality. And when I say all people, I'm not talking about all people in our family of churches or even Christians. I'm talking about all people, non-believers, agnostics, atheists, all submit to the sovereignty of God. They just don't know it until a tragedy happens and it's clearly revealed when they ask this question, how could God let this happen? Well, wait a minute. I thought you don't believe in God. It's in tragedy when people realize that they actually do instinctively trust in the sovereignty of God because they want to know how God could let this happen. What that question is saying is that God is in control and somehow he allowed these planes to hit the World Trade Center. He allowed the levees to break and cause all this destruction in the city. He allowed you to lose your job. He allowed you to be in the kind of chronic pain that Matt was talking about at the piano a few moments ago. How could God let this happen is a question that reveals that people believe in the sovereignty of God even if they think they don't believe in God. Add that to your list of crazy paradoxes. Funny thing is, people don't have that problem during good times, right? People don't have that. They don't question God's sovereignty during good times. Have you, how many of you know what the publisher's clearinghouse is? Okay, good. Many of you, this side. These are people who put their name in hoping to win it, right? I'm not ashamed. Don't worry about it. It's okay. We all do crazy things. Publishers Clearinghouse is a website where you go in and just fill out information, and then hopefully you win a million dollars. And what happens is they will, they will have a show, and there will be a dude who definitely looks like he's been in television for a couple decades. He's in a gray suit, happy face, and he has a microphone and a camera crew, and he's walking to this house. And the first thing you notice is the house looks like the people got money anyway. That's a paradox, right? Go down to the seventh floor, man. Go down to lower ninth with a million dollar check, right? Actually, you couldn't even get out the car with that million dollar check if you go down there. Let's just, let's just keep it 100, right? You ain't even getting out the car because the check is as big as me and they carry it. You know, if you're from where I'm from and you see that check, you'd be like, man, that ain't real. It's too big, man. Where's the real check at? But they walk to the door. And it's the camera crew, and he's whispering, hey, we're going to knock on the door. And when she opens it, we're going to let her know that she's won a million dollars. And so they knock on the door, and they wait, and he looks at the camera. <laughs> and the lady opens the door, a soccer mom with four kids, three cars in the garage, doesn't need the money. But she opens the door, and then he says, surprise, you've won a million dollars. And she goes, ah! And you never hear her say, how could God let this happen? You just know, right? It just, it's not even the right question to ask, right? 
how could God let this happen? I want a million dollars. You know why that never happens? Because people believe that God's sovereignty is a bad thing when it doesn't give them what they want. You see, God's sovereignty, there's no problem when everything is good. Matter of fact, people won't even acknowledge God's sovereignty. They acknowledge their hard work and their efforts. But when things are bad, people demand answers for how God could let this happen. It's because you think God's sovereignty is only meant to provide you with good. Even among believers, somehow we can struggle with knowing that God, we are children of God, we're going to this fantastic place, and somehow we think because we're saved, we're justified, we're adopted, we're sanctified, we'll be glorified, that somehow that means we'll be protected from all the discomforts in a fallen world. We are no different than the average unbeliever who wonders how could God let this happen? We demand explanations for why things go wrong and we forget that sovereignty is the reason why things go right. You see, God is sovereign over the blessing of the young hopefully non-future prison inmate. God is sovereign over her pregnancy. He's sovereign over the good things as well as the bad things. So what is sovereignty? Here's what 2 Chronicles says about sovereignty. It says in verse 11, it says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Verse 12, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. That's a definition of God's sovereignty. And it is quite possible that Jesus, even though he's beaten, bleeding, Body is in shock, standing before Pilate, awaiting even further pain. It's possible that he is holding on to this truth. What do we mean by sovereign? We mean the supremacy, kingship, and godhood of God. To say that God is sovereign is declare that God is God, that he is the most high, or as Daniel says in, in his book in chapter 4, verse 35, he says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And listen to this. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? What a contrast between what people ask in the midst of trial or suffering. In this verse, saying none can say to God, based upon who he is, what have you done? To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the governor of the nations. Psalm 22 and 28 talks about God setting up kingdoms, overthrowing enemy empires, destroying dynasties as he pleases. 
To say that God is sovereign is to acknowledge and agree with Isaiah 45, 7, which says, I, God speaking on behalf of himself, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Such is the God of the Bible. Now, in God's sovereignty, in his absolute authority, God decides to give man a measure of authority, right? God doesn't just allow himself to remain sovereign and that's it. He does that, but he says, I am going to delegate a certain degree of authority to those whom I've created in my image. And that's the reason why we are responsible for what we do here on earth. This great mystery is a great paradox. Not only is God sovereign, but we are responsible. But our responsible authority given by God is not sovereign. And that brings me to my, the second aspect of sovereignty. Human authority is not sovereign. God delegates a measure of his power to others. And he shows favor to men as he chooses. Why did God allow Samson to be strong enough that no man has been as strong as that ever since to destroy thousands of Philistines? Even in a weakened state, by a prayer, was able to push two pillars and killed more than he had his whole life. Why did God allow Daniel to be thrown into a lion's den and to just be chilling? He was in there chilling. Try petting a lion one day. Put your right hand out there, call you lefty for the rest of your life. <laughs> rest of your life. I'm telling you. I won't even touch a lioness on TV. I take my kids to the zoo and I'd be like, son, stand back. And be like, Poppy, but it's glass, but he can come through the glass, son, stand back. And Daniel is chilling. Chilling. Why does God do that? Here's what God says in Deuteronomy 8.18. It says, you shall remember the Lord your God, speaking through Moses to the Israelites, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. God determines the authority that he gives to us. All of us. This authority was given in Genesis 1, 28 through 31. Adam and Eve were told to be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. But that authority was insufficient to them. They wanted an authority that was more in tune with who God is. They wanted his authority, and as we all know, they bite the fruit. And then sin comes into the world, and you know what? We all have inherited the same thing that we also believe we're sovereign. And so now, ever since then, and until the Lord returns, there is a battle for who is sovereign that rages on between humankind and God. Sort of. Sort of. God isn't up there like, man, these people are, man, whoa, man, we need to do something. 
He is not impressed or depressed by people's pursuit of sovereignty. But here's the issue. We are. We're impressed and depressed. You see, God has given human beings a certain authority. And a lot of us, we don't want to do this, but we instinctively what we do is we are more aware of people's authority. We get angry at people who have lowercase a authority. You got a boss who's just riding you. And depending on where you're from, you have different thoughts. If you're from the woods, you might wish you had a pitchfork. <laughs> if you're from where I'm from, you're thinking mask, gloves, duct tape. <laughs> you hate it. You focus on this authority, this lowercase a authority. And if it's causing us suffering, right? we totally forget, or if it's unexpected circumstances that we don't like, we act as if what is happening is somehow as authoritative and as sovereign as God himself. God has the right to allow people, whether he chooses to save them or not, to suffer. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, let me say this. This is what Jesus said to his disciples shortly before he was crucified. He said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. And then he said, no servant is greater than their master. If the world hates me they're going to hate you also. And yet we struggle with people not liking us. It is amazing. Add that to your list of paradox. When we experience lowercase a authority, whether it's from a person or circumstances unbeknownst to us, it tempts us to forget that God is sovereign. In some churches, I used to go to a church where everything that happened was the devil. Everything was the devil. A girl one time went out and couldn't start her car. Here's what she said. My buddy was on the other end of the phone. She said, I cast whatever demon that's in my engine out of the car to get out of my car in the name of Jesus. And my man said, man, I ain't no demon. Put some, gas, some oil in your car. <laughs> Ain't no demon stopping you from driving. You ain't got no gas. <laughs> God gave you some authority. Take that authority and get yourself over there and use pump eight. <laughs> it don't make no difference. It's crazy. We are crazy people. Even if it is the devil, though, here's what we must do. Two words. Remember Job. Even if the devil is specifically harassing you, which he does have influence significantly in this world, give it to him by God. But remember what happened with Job. What happened, not to Job, but between God and Satan. What did he need? Permission. He needs permission. You know why? Because the devil is still God's devil. Nothing can happen to you, believer or unbeliever 
unless God allows it to happen. No one can have authority over you for good or for bad unless God has given them a lowercase a authority. And in situations when events affect you, you must train yourself to look beyond this lowercase a authority or you'll forget that God is the one that is in control. And that is exactly what's happening in John 19. See, here Pilate, he doesn't have a capital A authority. He doesn't know it. Pilate is a man with authority. And from all he can tell, he tells men to do this. He tells men to do that. He told men to beat Jesus, so they beat him. He told men to crucify Jesus, so they did it. He told men to put a crown of thorns on him, and so they did it. He has authority. But in his mind, it's sovereign authority. Remember what he says to Jesus in verse 10? He says, you will not speak to me? He says, where are you from? And Jesus says nothing. Set aside the fact that Jesus is in shock. Make no mistake. Don't make mistake because Jesus was a son of God, that the physical suffering of Jesus wasn't real suffering. Make no mistake. Every whip that touched his body and yanked out flesh hurt him. All of them. The crown of thorns hurt him. Any movement that he makes with his head because of the nerves that are wrapped around our brains hurt him. Any words that he would say would hurt him. Set aside the fact that Pilate is expecting a man to talk who can barely stand. And he says, you will not speak to me? Do you not know I have authority to crucify you or release you? You see, Pilate is speaking from a perspective that a lot of people speak from, including ourselves. He gives himself capital A authority, but Jesus reminds them, your authority is lowercase. And you know, Jesus in saying that was letting Pilate know there is something going on beyond what you're able to even understand. And that's the reality when we have God's sovereignty. Imagine this. Imagine a man who's been following Jesus the last seven months of his life. And he's in the crowds. He's watching Jesus cast out demons. He's watching him feed thousands of people. He's watching him heal people. He's heard about Lazarus rising from the dead. And he's thinking, wow, man, this is a good man. And he's starting to believe in Jesus. He's he's just walking around everywhere this dude goes, like the rest of the crowds of people. And then all of a sudden, he gets to this point. And he's at this, this kangaroo court, and he's watching these men say, we need to crucify him. And he's sitting there thinking, what are you talking about? This guy has to be the son of God. If nothing else, he's got to be from God. Who else can do the stuff that he's doing? And he's trying to convince people, are you serious? And then he watches them. They, he finds out that they're taking him to beat him, and he's thinking, what is going on? And he's praying, God, please, don't let this happen. This is a good man. And then he sees Jesus beaten with a crown of thorns, and then he sees the people yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And he's yelling, don't say that. This is a man of God. Don't do it. Don't do it. And he's wondering, God, how could you let this happen? And then he watches Jesus carry this heavy bar up this hill, and he can't even hold himself up, so he falls. 
and they pick him back up. And they get Simon of Cyrene to help him carry it. And this guy's like, what are you doing? And he's looking at John the Baptist and I'm like, uh, uh, you're a man of God. This, this shouldn't be happening. He's a man of God. And he's praying, God, stop this. And then he watches him nail Jesus to the cross. And he watches him raise Jesus up. And he can't believe it. He doesn't get it. And he's crying, God, how could you let this happen? He's a good man. We've never seen any man like him. We know he's from you. How could you let this happen? From his vantage point, this is a horrible thing. From God's vantage point, this is the greatest act of love that he could ever do. From his vantage point, this doesn't make sense. This is unjust. From God's vantage point, this is me satisfying my anger towards those who deserve divine justice. If God had listened to that man, and what if God had said, you know what? What am I thinking? He's right. This is my son. We're going to stop this. If God had listened to this man using this man's logic, everyone in this room would have no hope. We could not sing these songs and lift our hands and pray because we would be in fear or ignorance totally. We would have no hope. If God did not in his sovereignty choose to crush his only son, then in his same sovereignty, he would choose to crush each and every single one of us in this room and the whole worldwide, everyone who's ever been born. There's always more going on than we can see. Especially when God and his sovereignty allows us to suffer. Either by surprising circumstances we didn't expect or by physical or financial trial. There's always a capital A authority accomplishing something significant for your benefit. You don't have to understand it, and you don't even have to like it. You just need to believe it. Otherwise, you will struggle in this life, wondering circumstance to circumstance, how could God let this happen? Human authority is not sovereignty. It is not. Human authority is not sovereignty. So when you're, when you're struggling, when you get to a point where you realize, I never thought that this baby that I held in my arms when it was born would grow up and cause me all this pain. The tendency is to focus on that and not this. When I got married and I said I do, I was so in love with my spouse. And now all I'm thinking is I wish I had said I don't. 
Yeah. If you are single, that's real talk. It's real talk. You focus on that. They hurt me. You forget about this. I didn't ask to get in this car accident. I didn't ask to fall and and hurt my back. You know, sometimes we're too hard on ourselves because we know we're sinners and we deserve to go to hell. So we kind of think like, hey, we deserve everything that happens. There are things that happen to you that you don't deserve, that you didn't do anything so that this happens to you and God allows it to happen to you. And it's not because you deserve it. And the way that you get through it is not, well, I deserve to go to hell. Yeah, don't tell me that when I'm struggling. I mean, I can hurt my toe. I don't want to hear none of that. <laughs> don't, don't try to comfort me by saying, you know, kids in Africa ain't eating. That's not helpful. My toe is killing me right now. There is an authority that is sovereign. And in that authority, God delegates to us so that a greater purpose can happen in our lives. But that human authority is not sovereignty. But God's sovereignty requires a human response. This is the last point, the last aspect. God's sovereignty requires a human response. Look at what Jesus says to Pilate in John 19. I'm sorry, I was wiping my face. Some of y'all were like, what happened? God was sovereign over that sound, too, believe it or not. (laughs) This is what he says. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. If we can, by the grace of God, take these words that are from God and apply them to circumstances and how we view God, this will have a transforming impact on our lives in the good circumstances and the bad ones. See, the problem with God's sovereignty is not God's sovereignty. The problem with God's sovereignty, for especially non-Christians, is that they think, they think they're sovereign. People think they're sovereign. See, they want God to worship them in their sovereignty rather than submit to him and his. You know my story, and you got people in this church that are from the streets See, I know people that would rather die on their feet than live on their knees. They want want exaltation without humiliation. But God can't see it that way because he didn't do it that way. He humbled himself before he exalted himself. You see, people think they're sovereign, but not us, though. Not us. Not Lakeview. Not Sovereign Grace Ministries. We don't think we're sovereign. We know that. We're taught well. But we do think God could do a better job at being sovereign. <laughs> Let's keep it 100. God could do a better job at being sovereign if he had just let me know this was going to happen. That is the wrong response to God's sovereignty. Sovereignty can't mean that things will work out well for us. See, God doesn't answer 
Why did you let this happen? Why, how, and what aren't the answers? That's not the question that God wants us to know. You know the question that God wants us to know is? He wants us to know the who. Who? I let this happen for a reason I've chosen not to explain to you. So your trust is not in the outcome of what you hope happens as a result of this. Your trust and confidence comes from me, who I am, and what you've already seen me do in your life. How many trials have you been through and you still trust God? How many things are you experiencing now and you still coming to church, still going to covenant group? Let me give you a practical step. It's practically, complaining to God is a psalm. Complaining about God is a sin. Complain to God. You think I'm joking? Read the psalm. If you, the psalms will rock you. It's psalms. It's like, where are you, Lord? I, man, it's enemies around me. My bones are dried up. I can't smell you, taste you, feel you. My, I'm, I'm getting ready to die, and I don't see you no place. I, you said the righteous aren't forsaken, but right now I feel like everybody's got their chops and they're getting ready to take me down. Where are you, Lord? Read Psalm 84 and 88. Them psalms do not end with, but you, God. Oh, no. That psalm ends with death and evil are my companions. The end. <laughs> I lied to you not. And if I got the number wrong, just check in the 80s. God's sovereign over that too. <laughs> sovereign over that. Complain to God. Don't complain about God. You complain to God, he hears that. He understands. He knows how you were formed. He remembers that we are dust. When you complain about God, he's still listening. God's sovereignty is meant to comfort us. This is what it did for Jesus. You think about this. Pilate says these things. Look at what Jesus didn't do. He didn't say, you know what Jesus could have done? Look at what Jesus didn't do. Jesus didn't say, how dare you talk to me that way? How dare you lay your hands on me? I am the eternal son of God. Jesus told Peter right before they took him, when he, kept, when he, when, when he cut off Malchus's ear, you know what he did? He picked it up and said, enough of this. And he said, I could call 12 legions of angels to my defense. Jesus could have said, how dare you touch me? How dare you have your soldiers spit on me? Who do you think you are? He didn't say that. He didn't say, how could God let this happen? I'm a righteous man. He just went to a trial where they couldn't even figure out what sin he committed. They were sinning trying to figure out what sin he committed. He didn't say that. What he said was, you don't have any authority. All of this comes from above. And I'm comforted by that. I'm doing his will. God's sovereignty is meant to comfort us. God's sovereignty does not, it does not make things easier. But what it does is it does this. It says, okay. All right, God. Okay. I don't like my life right now. I didn't ask for this. I don't like this. But I know that somehow 
even if you do not explain it to me, you are still a good God, and this is beneficial for me from you. It doesn't mean you're going to like it. I don't know anybody that's praying for suffering. What you pray for is, God, help me to still believe in you while I suffer. If you're depressed this morning, the goal isn't to get out of depression, believe it or not. Here's a question you ask. How do I glorify God while I'm depressed? You see, in our view of sovereignty, we can think, as I said earlier, that it should work out for our good. So prayers sometimes don't end trials. The comfort that you have when you get into an unexpected situation that you don't like is not hoping that that situation somehow changes so that you like it. Your confidence is in, all right, God. All right, God. This wasn't my preference. This wasn't my preference. I didn't want this to happen, and I don't want it to keep happening, but okay, I will submit and trust you and fight to still pray, to still read your Bible, to still come to church, to still meet with my pastors, to still go to covenant group. I will still fight to fellowship because, Lord, you know right now I don't want to. So that's a real prayer. That's real talk. And God hears that. Don't fake like, oh, you know, God is good. I'm, you know, God's sovereign and you're good on Sunday and then Tuesday you can't stand him. God's sovereignty is meant to comfort us. It's meant to help us understand who God is and who we are. When things don't go our way, we must remember that Jesus went the way of the cross. And that comforts us. God does have the authority to peace be still, the wind in your life. But if he does not, it doesn't mean he's not sovereign. It means something bigger, more important, is going on for your redemptive good than even you like. Just like that dude who couldn't believe that Jesus was being killed. There's a church I used to go to when I was first saved, and they had this song that they used to sing, and I believe it's wonderfully relevant. The words say, when things are over our head, they're under his feet. May the sovereignty of God comfort you in all the unexpected, all the physical, financial, emotional, and spiritual difficulties that you face in this life. It's meant to comfort you. Complain to God, not about God, and he'll meet you. You all are already living examples of that. You know it to be true. Let's fight to believe it when we have to face a sovereignty that is a struggle. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your wonderful mercy towards us. Thank you for the reality of your sovereignty. Lord, your sovereignty means that we don't always get to know what's going to happen or why it's happening. Your sovereignty is meant to remind us who is allowing it to happen. 
Now, Lord, we thank you that even when we struggle with what you do and we even sin against you when you do that, that you have in your sovereignty allowed your son to pay the penalty for that. So, Lord, I pray for anyone who is here that may experience conviction, that they would act on that conviction. But if anyone here experiences condemnation, I pray that you would remind them that this isn't a corrective message that says that not trusting in your sovereignty is the unpardonable sin. For you forgive us in the moments where we do not want to and rebel against your sovereignty. Remind us, oh God, how you did Israel in the Old Testament when you sent prophets and said, thus saith the Lord. I, the Lord, your God, who brought your fathers out of Egypt, who provided manna for you. Each time you did that, you reminded them of what you've already done in their lives to give them confidence for what you will do. May each of us, in times of struggling with your sovereignty, be reminded of the things that you've already done in our lives so that we can have comfort for the thing that you will do. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's take a moment to let the Holy Spirit minister to us. So get personal with God. Be available to respond in your own heart. It's no longer at this point about the meeting, about the guy speaking. It's really about the Holy Spirit in you right now. Remember, the Spirit of God, he's our comforter. That's what the Bible called the Holy Spirit. He is our comforter. And he comforts us by leading us into the truth sometimes. And so I think that's what Kurt has done for us this morning. Is allowed for the truth of God's sovereignty to be set before us in a way that's intended to comfort us. So I just want you to be found by God for a moment. So if you guys would just bow your heads and let the Lord speak to you for a moment about where you are needing comfort in your life right now. And I felt like the Lord would have us let me take a quick visit to how we capitalize the letter A. So let's, let's start with lowercase a first. Can you visit the lowercase a's in your life for a moment? Can you think about the issues and the things in your life that right now you would see them as a means of disrupting your faith, of threatening your well-being? stirring up fear in your heart. And Kurt gave many great examples. Maybe the Holy Spirit is helping you to consider physical condition in your life that you see it as controlling your life. You see that your future is in its hands. A relational situation, maybe your marriage or family challenges, maybe just a series of events. Some of us walk through series of events where one thing after another lines up to testify 
against our well-being and we begin to believe that we're just on a bad luck streak it's going to stay this way whatever it is Lord take us to these places right now consider those things touching your life I want you to step back now and look at that lowercase a from the perspective of uppercase a of a God who is comforting you this morning by letting you know I am in control of all those things and I'm at work in your life Perhaps this morning is about reminding you to see uppercase A. Now can you, as hard as it is, as Kurt said, this, that uppercase A doesn't remove the pain. Doesn't make it come to an end. But it gives you the ability to have hope in your heart. And so right now, can you let hope begin to emerge in your heart as you, for most of us here, re-embrace what we needed to be reminded of this morning? Can you, can you in your own way look at that circumstance? And you don't need to say this out loud, but can you look at that circumstance and can you say to it, you would have no authority over me had it not been given by my Father. Can you say that this morning? Say that to that circumstance. Say that to this moment in your life, to the struggle and to the fear and the sense of control. Say it to it. You would have no authority over me had it not been given by my Father in heaven. So, Lord, I, I thank you that as we consider this truth and Holy Spirit, as you enlarge it before our eyes, we are, we are in a room this morning right now where nothing is out of control, where nothing is out of control. We are wrapped in your loving, sovereign, powerful care. We are in these moments of our lives by a skillful, wise, loving Father who has been at work in these places. Lord, we take comfort in these things. Lord, we run underneath your wing, Lord, with all of our brokenness and all of our concerns and all the realities of our pain. Yet deep in our heart, there's a cry of hope. We have not been abandoned. You are faithful to the end. You are at work. We anticipate all that you will do in our lives.
you just remain seated. I just want you to let this song minister into your heart. Oh 
Kurt, you have served us again, my friend, amazingly well as the Lord. I'm going to be hearing that sermon preached a lot back to me, bro, for years to come, I believe. The worship team can go ahead and be seated. Uh, I need to borrow you guys for about five minutes for um, an announcement. You know, I thought I might pull this off. <laughs> Only a sovereign God could have arranged this morning, by the way. Um, we had asked Kurt to come quite a while ago and plan on him coming at this time of year. So his message helps us this morning. Ain't helping me a whole lot making this announcement right now, but we'll see. Uh, you know, the, the Bible makes clear that there is a time and a season under heaven for all things. And um, the Lord is sovereign over those seasons. And God has allowed for us to enjoy a season of ministry together with Matt and Paula for these last 12 years. Um, And that season is now changing. God has opened an opportunity for Matt to serve in a church in Birmingham, Alabama. The church at Brook Hills, a church that we are excited about Matt being a part of and the impact he will have there. Uh, and uh, this has been a decision that, that he and Paula have been considering carefully uh, for about three and a half months now. We have been praying for them and walking with them. They have had numerous uh, Conversations with the pastoral team, the elders, the extended team. They have had multiple visits. They have received much prayer from their family. They have received much prayer from the team and from the extended folks in the church who have been walking with them through this and uh, have felt that it is the Lord's direction for them to receive a position as the worship pastor uh, in that church, and they will be headed in that direction towards the end of February, so we have a few more weeks here with them, and obviously, uh, as I'm doing a good job of communicating, this is a moment of sadness, uh, but it is also a moment of faith. Uh, Sadness for obvious reasons. This has been a dear, dear and I'm not going to go down the road here because I still have to be in the pulpit next week with this issue. Um, obvious joy from God for much that we have received from this couple and their family. But faith as well for in the sovereign purposes of God, God has some other things in store for their ministry 
and their future. And, and what gives us great faith, obviously, is, is we know what it's like to be on the receiving end of that for a dozen years, and which makes us think, man, the future is going to be amazing for the church there in Birmingham and since God is sovereign in all these affairs for us as well and God has purposes here for us that he is seeking to accomplish through his purpose and so uh, we wanted to give you guys notice about that before we got too close to those realities so you could relate to these guys and love on them and participate with them pray for them as we know many of you are eager to do that, and we're going to seek to create some opportunity for you to connect with them as well. Uh, it'd be impossible for them to have dinner with everyone in the church uh, over the next few weeks, but we will do what we can to, to create some means for you to communicate your love and care and appreciation. Um, you'll hear more from me and Matt over the next two weeks uh, in this arena. Eager to pass the emotional baton to him as soon as possible. Uh, right now, he's trying to figure out how on earth he's going to stand up here and do this. And you know what? I have no sympathy for him. <laughs> Zero. Um, I'm just. I'm not going to go into details. I will. I intend to share more. I believe next week. And then Matt will share the week after that uh, of God's leading in this. But I, I just would want you to to know this this is this is a good thing. And so this is not a moment that we come to with regrets. And I thank God for that. Uh, this is a moment we come to saddened, but excited and grateful to God. So uh, I commend that to you guys and. Uh, I know you'll be praying for them as they make arrangements uh, for all that will take place for them to relocate their lives to Birmingham in days ahead. So um, thank you guys, and we'll talk more next week.